Curious about the latest in the world of freight and how it impacts you and your business? Dive into our exclusive release of the U.S. Bank Freight Payment Index. Gain deep insights from the billions of transactions they handle each quarter. Visit usbank.com forward slash freight hyphen index to explore the release and sign up for quarterly updates. For a dynamic take on this information and to learn what's happening now in the business world, stay in the loop by subscribing to Supply Chain Now on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Logistics with Purpose, presented by Vector Global Logistics in partnership with Supply Chain Now. We spotlight and celebrate organizations who are dedicated to creating a positive impact. Join us for this behind-the-scenes glimpse of the origin stories, change-making progress, and future plans of organizations who are actively making a difference. Our goal isn't just to entertain you, but to inspire you to go out and change the world. And now, here's today's episode of Logistics with Purpose. Hello and welcome back to another very interesting episode of Logistics with Purpose. I'm Enrique Alvarez and I have the pleasure to have uh, Marina's co-host today. How are you doing, Marina? Good, Enrique. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Maybe it will be air on another day, but happy Friday regardless. Uh, No, we have a, this is very close to us, near and dear. We have a very incredible subject, a really good uh, host here with us today, and I'm pretty sure that uh, everyone that's listening will be very will be benefit by listening to what she has to say and her story because it's really really amazing. Maureen, can you do us the honors? Yes, we have Ying McGuire, CEO and President of NMSTC. So welcome to the podcast, Ying. Thank you, Maureen. It's my pleasure. Well, why don't we get right into it here? We have so many questions for you. Hopefully we can cover some of them uh, before we we finish up today. But we always like to start to have you tell us a little bit about yourself and your childhood and where you grew up. It helps set the stage for us to talk about, you know, where you are now and how you got there. Of course, uh, my honor to be on your podcast. And uh, so here's my background. I was born and raised uh, in China, near Shanghai. And I uh, had a different childhood from most folks. I witnessed the Cultural Revolution in my early childhood. It was a uh, very dark period in China when the government led by Chairman Mao tried to root out educators and intellectuals. Intellectual meaning, you you know, you went to college and et cetera. And so both of my parents were the intellectuals. And so I remember they were sent to this labor camp by day where they did hard labor in the rice paddies. And so we had a very modest living. Uh, I remember like drawing, drinking water from wells and cooking out of coal heated stoves and three generations cramped in a little two bedroom condos and our mean of Means of transportation were like a bicycles, and my parents watched every yuan ascend until our family became uh, a, a textile uh, entrepreneur when, when China transitioned from Mao's era to a market economy in 1976 and after. But despite you know the, the sufferings they had as intellectuals during the Cultural Revolution, my parents always kind of placed 
uh, high value on education. So I was able to get very good education uh, in the post Mao's era and, and uh, had opportunity to study at a Nankan University, which was like ranked number four in China at the time. Wow. That's wow. That's an incredible story. And thank you so much for sharing it. Um, it must have been even harder just being a, a woman back then, right? And it was there were so many different challenges that you had to face at the same time. Uh, but is there some particular story that you'd remember from those early years that kind of shaped who you are now and kind of gave you the tools uh, that you needed for the, further down the road to succeed? Yes, you know, I learned a lot from the childhood. Uh, one is you just, you know, put a mind to it and just get work done, right? You work hard. But the one thing I want to share with you is, was my earlier days in U.S. Um, so following the Tiananmen Square incident in China in 1989, I packed up my life into one suitcase and arrived in Los Angeles with very little English and $1,000 to my name. Um, but I had a promise that I held in my heart, and that is the American dream. Um, then, you know, I arrived in Los Angeles. Uh, I imagined what would later manifest as a reality, high education. Um, I, I received an MBA, respecting corporate America, uh, opportunities Uh, to be an entrepreneur, the freedom to vote and express myself and representation on government nonprofit boards and a greater community. And I have two beautiful children who's finally off my payroll. <laughs> um, and you, you ask the question like what, you know, kind of did to what shaped, you know, who I am and, and what you, what I do now. Um, so In 2020, after witnessing the outcry of racial injustice, my, my vantage point of America's socioeconomic uh, state drastically changed. Unfortunately, the opportunities that helped me get here today uh, are not a reality for far too many people of color in this country. So I'm honored to really have the opportunity to lead NMSDC because today my renewed American dream is to help systemically excluded communities of color to actualize their American dream and to close the racial wealth gap. Wow. Well, so you made it, you made it to the States and you got your MBA. And then shortly after you finished your MBA, you started with Dell, right? And you seem to have a bunch of roles there, but you ended with the global supplier diversity leader and worldwide procurement leader. Can you talk a little about your journey at Dell and how you got where you started there and then how you ended up um, with your final role there? Yeah, that's a great question, Maureen. Um, professionally, I grew up at Dell Technologies. <laughs> and uh, that was my first corporate job, my first real job uh, when I came to U.S., And Dell was the best training ground. You know, I always tell people like, hey, I'm really happy because they pay me to learn, right? <laughs> because I knew nothing about corporate America, you know, when I joined Dell. And also, you know, I started as a marketing manager and the second year they gave me a role as, as a brand manager of desktop. So I had to learn everything about the computer, knew nothing about a computer to be able to take the computer desktop apart and put, put back together. So it was like the best training ground. And also Dell has like really great 
open door policies. You know, I was a new, but I was able to walk up to a chief procurement officer, a senior vice president, and say, hey, you know, I know I was a marketing person, but I, I, I know the essence of Dell at that time was supply chain. You know, Dell was known for the supply chain. And I said, I want to come to procurement, even though I knew nothing about the procurement, but I but I know you're moving the, the, the supply chain management to China. I speak Chinese and let me help you. And so that led me to uh, transition from marketing to, to procurement. And so I spent a few years in, in we call it direct procurement. So direct procurement, procurement, you buy parts and go into a computer and sell to customer. And indirect procurement, as morph buy things for internal consumption, like a marketing, like the travel, right? All that. And so I was in direct procurement for a few years. So, so I know procurement and supply diversity is all about integrate uh, MBs in the supply chain, the value chain. And one of the greatest opportunities that was given to me, I was so blessed, was uh, I was asked to work uh, with the worldwide operations councils for Dell. And then what the, the, the council was made up, everybody used to report a chief procurement officer, you know, so right. a chief operating officer, actually. So you have the head of SVP of product group and manufacturing and procurement and services, you name it, you know, all the operational senior leaders at Dell, they formed a council when we didn't have COO. So I was one of, I, I was a person a program person helped them get organized and um, come up with like B, we call it B hack, big, hairy, audacious goals <laughs> and, and really driving those big initiative across the uh, the company. And one of the things we achieved was like, we drove out, like we, we drove about $7 billion cost save, savings uh, uh, across wow. three period. And some of the, like, like life uh, defining moment for me uh, in that job was like, you know, I was sitting in the boardroom with Michael Dell and President Kevin Rowland then, and then all these EVPs, and they all have amazing experience in this industry. They shaped the industry. And I was a fly on the wall, just learning from listening to them. I was like, this is American dream, right? And it's like, I was learning from these superly experienced executive leaders who shaped the industry. And so uh, while I was doing that, having fun learning, um, one of the procurement leaders, his name is uh, Dave Brown. I remember he uh, shot me email say hey I have offer you cannot refuse I was like what do you have like I'm in the boardroom and he said hey um you know you have done direct procurement you have not done indirect procurement we have a role here for you by the way you know we need to elevate supply diversity to the next level and I said what is supply diversity never heard about it <laughs> that's incredible so, so, so he's like, hey, you know, there's uh, NMSDC National Conference happening. It was 2006. You should just go and and figure it out, right? And so here, I knew nothing about supply diversity. Walked into the conference of six thousand people wow. in San Diego, 2006, and I met uh, these passionate, very passionate, you know, president, regional council presidents, and. And then NMSDC president, then Harry Michelle, and I met all these amazing entrepreneurs like you all, um, 
and MSDC certified MBEs and, and these passionate corporate members. And I, I was hooked. And the interesting thing is, you know, fast forward 15 years later, I at, I'm at the helm of NMSDC really leading the transformation to next 50 wow. years. So it's interesting how it's, I- It's more than interesting. It's incredibly successful and it's such a such a, an exciting journey, right? Because at the end of the day, you fully kind of validated your new renewed American dream, the way you call it, which was kind of helping others and uh, breaching the income gap inequalities and all this other stuff. But because we, before we dive a little bit more into the, NMSDC. Let me just ask you, after Dell, because you moved into the Technology Integration Group as the VP of International Operations, uh, so you stayed in uh, technology, right? That was your thing. And I think we all know that technology is incredibly fast changing and you have to adapt quickly. And what did you learn from kind of that time in your professional career about changing roles, being flexible? Uh, what has sticked with you? Uh, from that time as well? Yeah, good question. You know, I, I changed the roles a few times at Dow because, you know, I when I get too comfortable at the role, I want to move because when you're comfortable, you're not learning, right? And so let me uh, share with you why uh, I joined before I share with you, like, you know, what I learned from the role. So when I was at Dow Technologies, one of the things that I start to champion in the supply diversity industry beyond Dow is was to take MWBE, uh, go go global to mirror the corporate customer's global sourcing strategy. Because, you know, as you know, large corporations, uh, they have global operations that they want to do business with the suppliers who have multiple country uh, presence. And so it's very critical for MBEs and MWBEs go global. And so, so I was. And you, sorry that I interrupt you abruptly, but so for people that are listening to us and they might not understand the acronym that uh, we've been using, what is the uh, MBEs? MWBEs. So yeah, so minority owned business enterprises, MBE, and WBE is women owned businesses. Sorry for the acronym. Now, everybody listening now learned a new acronym MWBEs. Great question. And so um, as I was helping uh, some of the scalable companies, uh, MBEs, to, uh, to go global, um, one of the companies, uh, actually a few of the companies, including Technology Integration Group, and came to me, said, hey, you know, you uh, ask us to go global. We don't know how to do this. Why don't you come and help us to do this? Right. And so... So that was interesting moment when I thought, okay, so um, I learned a lot from corporate America. Maybe it's time to be entrepreneur again, right? And so uh, I joined TIG, Technology Integration Group, based in San Diego. And, and TIG is NMSDC certified MBEs. And, and NMSDC has a, a, this program called a Corporate Plus, that they are the one, you know, demonstrate their capacity to do national global contract with the corporate America. And I ended up create and lead the international business of TIG. Um, The things I learned, you know, one is you can do anything you want if you set your mind to it. And if you're willing to learn and put a hard work to it, because when I took that role, I never managed P&L before. 
I did a, a piece of, you know, the PO management, but never like in charge of the whole business. And I've never opened operation by myself in a foreign country before. So I had to really literally like learn while doing it, you know, making mistakes and 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 then and, and fell, but but got up and do something else or learn from it. So um the other thing is, you know, I learned um, that only thing that is constant is change. So, so that the world's changing, the technology's evolving. So our business model have to change. And so I remember, you know, we had to change from hardware sales-driven company to service-driven company because when you know, Amazon launched AWS, when Microsoft launched Azure, when Google launched Google Cloud, many customers no longer needed like their own data center, right? So we, we, if we, if we kept selling hardware, you know, we're not going to grow our revenue. So we have to pivot to services. So that's something that I, I learned many things, but those are the two kind of stood out. You constantly impressed me with, you know, you went from Dell, which was a pretty structured organization, it seemed, but it was growing. And then you went into this entrepreneurial role and you started and created something from scratch. I mean, you have a lot of really varied experience that you bring to the table. Uh, You were also have some experience in economics. I read where you were appointed by the U.S. Secretary of Commerce to the U.S. Investment Advisory Council. Can you talk a little bit about what that was and what you did there and your role there? Of course. Um, One thing I always tell my two children is, you know, whatever you do, make sure you make impact, you know, on the community in the community that you live. And so I always like doing things to help people. And one of the things that I was passionate about uh, working in Austin communities and bringing foreign investors to invest in U.S. so they can create jobs and they can teach us things, you know, that we need to learn. And so um, as I was volunteering for for the community, I had uh, amazing opportunity. Uh, I was nominated uh, to the, the U.S., actually appointed by Secretary uh, of Commerce, uh, Penny Pritzker, to the U.S. Um, Investment and Advisory Council, where our goal was to uh, advise the secretary and her team on bringing more businesses to U.S. to create jobs. And um, I can- cannot forget the day uh, when I was sworn in at the White House with Secretary Pritzker, and I thought, Wow, like, you know, when I came to to U.S., uh, uh, you know, dreamed about my American dream, but did not include, you know, I was sworn in the White House to to serve the administration, to be an advisor to Secretary Commerce. So that was amazing. And so um, so we provide advisory uh, guidance to the secretary. But, you know, I'm very action oriented. And so I actually organized uh, during that time frame. Uh, with my uh, a friend and a local economist, Angela Angelou, we organized the Texas-China Investment Summit. And we brought in, uh, during that time, there were a lot of money co- coming from China. So we brought um, investors to Texas and uh, look at the different project opportunities. 
And so we practiced what we advised, basically. So it was kind of voluntary work, but it's a very fulfilling work. Well, it sounds it sounds like you don't have like a like a second free, uh, or at least uh, with your impressive curriculum and the experience that you've had, uh, it seems that you don't get bored too often. That's for sure. <laughs> Never dull moment. Perfect. <laughs> no, and as you as you said, right? Uh, only change, a constant change is the only. Uh, what was a change is the only constant, and uh, if you're not changing, you're not learning. So. You're now, and we'll deep dive into the organization that you're leading. You're the CEO and president of the National Minority Supply Admin Development Council, which is the NMSDC, a somewhat large acronym, but an incredible organization, very impactful, very successful. I believe it's one of the nation's largest helping minority-owned businesses. We are actually at Vector, a, a proud member of the NMSDC, but uh, for anyone that's not too familiar with the work that you do, the organization, what you stand for, what, what is the organization about? What do you do? How would you define it and uh, kind of explain it to people that might not know it? Yes. Um, so I'm really passionate about this organization and its mission. So NMSDC uh, was created in 1972 as a direct result of President Nixon's executive order to address racial equity. And an interesting thing is, you know, 50 years later, we still have the same issues. So work's still there. Um, our mission, which is the why, the purpose of our existence, uh, we are here to serve as a growth engine for NMSDC certified minority businesses like you. And uh, the second element is make sure that we enable our members. These are the corporate members to advance economic equity by doing more business with our MBEs. And um, our preferred future, our, our vision is we wanna be the leading organization to drive true social economic equity and generational wealth for communities of a color. And th really the ultimate goal is to really end the racial wealth gap in this country, right? So. Some of the work we do is like, you know, connecting, convening is very critical. You know, we create connections between uh, minority business enterprises. Now you learned uh, Equidem MBE and corporations and connect MBE with other MBEs, connecting MBE with the public sector to really help them benefit from each other, you know, promoting entrepreneurship and a growing wealth. Uh, for systemically excluded communities of color. So one of the things is the NMSCC doing to try and correct the unequal wealth access to wealth building in, in underrepresented communities. Yeah, so a um, few things we do. So we have a, like a four pillars of excellence. Um, one is advocate. So we are the voice for minority-owned businesses with the policymakers at the federal level and, um, and also state local government level. And then the second one's certify. I'm going to go into detail a little bit. And the third one's develop. And then we have the connect I'm talking about, right? So let's talk about certification first. And thank you for being certified with us. Um, NMSD certification was created 50 years ago and many other NGOs start to follow, you know, our, our process. 
Um, certification has been the gold standard for 50 years. And um, despite, so basically we authenticate that's minority owned and controlled, led, managed. And um, and so that corporate dollar spent with MB is truly flowing into the community of color. Um, despite the previous success being the gold standard, we're not really resting on laurels. We recognize the world has changed and the need of MBEs and the corporation have changed. So we're in the process actually working to simplify and streamline certifications and while protecting the integrity through the use of modern technologies and tools like Six Sigma. So that's our certification. And we want to make it, you know, easy and simple while have the integrity. And then the other pillar is it's on development, really focus on accelerating MB growth. Uh, for the first time in the NMSDC's history, we actually putting together a MBE growth department. We we putting MBE growth nice. front and center. And uh, we brought in the first entrepreneur in residence, uh, Kurt Trevin uh, from the Native American community. And he is uh, leading the whole MBE growth initiative. It's really focusing on increasing access to capital for MBE, uh, focusing on understand the corporate demand way ahead of time so we can build a pipeline for MB, so they have the necessary know-how and the relationship and the capital. So when the RFP hit the street, they're ready to go, right? And so um, on the development side, we have a lot of practical steps we're doing besides the classroom um, activities. Um, some of the classroom activities we also provide, like, you know, we launched the NMSDC Learning Center, really provide uh, guidance and training for minority-owned businesses and also uh, corporate supply diversity professionals on how to uh, gain traction on their business or on their supply diversity program. We have things like uh, Advanced Black Entrepreneur Program, which is a, a collection of uh, practical resources to help Black business owners grow and scale their business. We have things like uh, Cyber Ready MBE. It's a training program, you know, helping MBEs uh, with cybersecurity infrastructure. As you know, it's super critical these days to to be Absolutely. successful. Yeah, and to work with uh, top corporations. We have Black Farm Equity Initiative. So those are like a development. As you can see, you know, we have uh, lots of things going on at the national office, and we have twenty three affiliate councils across the United States, and then we have five international partners. We're about to add more. So all of us have these developmental programs for MBEs that you can take advantage of it. The, th the third thing I want to talk about, you know, how do we correct the lack of access is the connect. So we're correcting the lack of access that so many MBE have historically faced. We do this by providing MBE access to relationship opportunities with corporate members, with themselves, with the government. Uh, for example, we have a business connection matchmaking events. For example, you may have attended our annual conference, a 50 year anniversary conference in New Orleans. We had a mini um, you know, curated uh, connecting events for MBE and corporations. And, um, and as you know, you know, the federal government recently made unprecedented investment into the U.S. economy through laws like bipartisan infrastructure bill, 
CHIPS Act, the CARES Act, there are trillions of dollars uh, being injected in, into the economy. So we're working with MBDA, another acronym, Minority Business Development Agency, <laughs> and uh, which is inside the U.S. Department of Commerce and the Department of Transportation to ensure the MBEs can capitalize on these wealth building opportunities. So that's another element of, there's, of action. No, and there, there's plenty, right? I mean, I was just going to talk a little bit about our experience and we would probably need a couple more episodes to go through all the different development programs that you have and the uh, organization has. So it's very important. That's why we wanted to have a little time today with you so that people that are listening to us uh, minority-owned businesses out there that actually need all these different resources to continue growing successfully and changing the world for the better, just reach out to you, reach out to your organization and deep dive into all these development programs and participate, right? Most of these programs are um, useful and practical and they're year-round, so it's very easy to join them. I was in particular uh, interested in one, one of them, uh, Ying, the uh, the emerging young entrepreneurs, or the EYE, for another acronym. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more? Because I know that for you, changing the mindset from the beginning and just really changing the next generation must be a critical part of your strategy. Correct? Absolutely. So therefore, we have this emerging young entrepreneur and called I program. That's another acronym. The I program, it's kind of nine-month program. Um, it's really designed to provide the, the next generation, people, my children's age, uh, of uh, minority entrepreneur participants with support to enhance their growing business. And during the program, uh, business owners receive like guidance from like a corporate sponsors, their fellow MBE may you know, have scaled to a different stage, and additional stakeholders. And so um they the the participant utilize a um interactive pre and a post conference you know courses along with five days of hands-on training and practical application applications so they provide necessary skill and tools connection strategy either to start or grow their businesses and but they don't uh, have to have a business up and running yet it could be it can a business be idea, it could be a startup, it could be anything. Exactly. Wow. And it's actually applications are not open. And so if anybody's listening to this podcast um, and you are a young minority business owner, I really encourage you to apply. It's a great timing right now. We will uh, definitely include all the links to everything that you've been saying when we post this episode. And um, so what's qualified as young these days, I guess? Is there like a is there like a limit in terms of the age or Enrique wants to apply. He's just not sure yes. if he... If Clearly he, not. <laughs> hey, I consider you as young compared to me, so you're good. <laughs> I don't think that's the case, but... Um, that's a, It's a great segue into just talking about how minority-owned businesses generate a lot of you know, economic growth. We read a study where you had commissioned a group to look, and it seemed as though they came up with... $400 billion in annual income output annually, which is not an, an insignificant number, you know. So, you know, tell us, tell our audiences, why should people invest in minority-owned businesses or especially, you know, in their supply chain? Yeah, so um, you're definitely reading what we're doing. Uh, May of 2022, we re released our economic impact study 
and it showed, you know, aggregate certified MBE revenues uh, reached about $261 billion annual revenue that generated $400 billion, but precisely $396 billion economic output annually and 1.75 million jobs. So if you look at the pure number, it seems very impressive. But if you look at relative to our GDP, it's kind of depressing, right? $261 billion annual revenue, that's like 1% of our U.S. GDP. And and a minority population is already 40%, and it's going to be a new majority for the country. So, so there's no equity there, right? So um, one of our regional councils in Michigan and, and uh, our partner, Supply IO, did a study, and they said, hey, if you don't do anything different, corporate America, it's going to take us 333 years to close the racial wealth gap. And obviously, it's not acceptable. And so, so that means like we need to do more and faster. Like what we did last 50 years, 261 billion, we need to accelerate that. So therefore you've heard me talking about $1 trillion goal. And so that's kind of aspirational goal. We're like, hey, you know, we need to triple, we need to quadruple this in coming years and to really move the needle forward, right? And so, um, that's why we need everyone, whether it's MBE doing business with MBE, whether it's corporate corporation, be more intentional, create more opportunities. It's not just check a box. And whether it's moving from supplier diversity to business diversity. And so here's the difference here. Supply diversity is, okay, this is CPO's job. It's in the supply chain. You utilize MBE in the supply chain. The business diversity, meaning it's everyone's job, CEO, CMO, CFO, CIO. Anytime you spend anything at all, you should consider utilize MBEs. You should consider try to develop MBEs so they can uh, grow their capacity to be able to compete for your contract. So we're talking about, you know, supply diversity to business diversity and one of the earlier champions for Transitioning from supply diversity to business diversity is the greatest John Rogers, the, the founder and CEO of uh, Area Investments. And so they're doing a lot of work in Chicago in this area to make sure other C-suites leaders other than CPO are part of this movement. It's uh, it's it's incredible. Not only the amount of support and impact that your organization has generated, but also kind of the attitude that you have kind of leading it. You're like, no, that's not enough. I mean, $400 billion, it's a lot of money, but that's clearly, relatively speaking to the other things that you pointed out, not enough. And you also mentioned it's everyone's job, right? It's not only the MBEs, it's also the corporate sponsors, and it's everyone really listening, whether you are a minority or not. Um, I'm sure you, throughout the 50 years of uh, this organization, you've you've experienced uh amazing success stories from maybe both sides of uh, the equation, maybe the corporate uh, members and then also the MBEs. Could you share a couple of those with our audience today? Sure. Um, I, you know, we all, I, when I came on uh, to this role, I say, I said, we are the best untold story. We have the both best untold stories, stories like yours. And um, yeah, a couple of stories. One story you may have heard the story 
about um, Rosa Santana and the Form Automotive, Automotive and Toyota partnership in the New York Times that came out in August last year. And it's really very inspiring story about how Toyota showed their intentionality in diversifying their supply chain by creating uh, new businesses, by building long-term relationship with this Hispanic-owned woman business owner who was in staffing business, but gave her opportunity to learn to make products in U.S. and providing jobs in her community, the Hispanic community. And so she, she transitioned, she expanded her business from only doing the staffing to manufacturing because Toyota's intentionality and they they taught her how to do it. And so this relationship um, to eventually lead to Toyota, you know, bring her on to lead a company that built truck beds uh, for Toyotas, like unbelievable. So check out the story on uh, New York Times. We'll, we'll post it. We'll post it on the episode yeah. as well. That's definitely an inspiring story and something that not only validates uh, your organization and what you're doing, but it also recognizes those uh, corporate members that realize the potential uh, and power of having a diverse uh, supplier network and having diverse partners more than suppliers business diversity in their companies. Exactly. Like, you know, I encourage corporations like don't do this, just check a box, right. but give and be extra little lift and they can rise to be some of the best partners that corporation can ever ask for. So you want to hear another story? Yeah, of, of <laughs> are course. You, is yes. that what you're waiting yes. for? Okay. I, I thought you had at least two or three more. So uh, no, yeah, we, don't so want to... we didn't want to interrupt you. Yeah, you have okay, some great so, stories. Yeah. So so I don't know. Did you attend uh, the 50th anniversary annual conference in New Orleans? Did you have a chance? No, to... not this year. I couldn't. No, I it. wanted to, but it was over Halloween. And so I couldn't make it because it was, I think it's the last Halloween my kids are going to celebrate. So I, oh, I had I'm to pick so one. sorry. Yeah. You know, uh, so 2023, we moved for that concern. We moved to before Halloween. So, so yeah. I'm going to see you all there. We yeah, will be there it. for sure. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And I'm participating in the matchmaking event later this month as well. Oh, uh, perfect. Perfect. But, yeah. um, the reason I mentioned that was, you know, the, the participants, we had a five, 6,000 people there and they, I received so many people's feedback say, hey, this is really the best conference. We got so many opportunity came out of it. And um, interesting thing is this year, the last year, we actually outsourced the production to a I program alum. Uh, a certified MBE. Wow. And, and the company called ABCD and a company, and they're based in Maryland. And they put together this amazing experience conference for NMSDC. And I think it's a great example of what certified MBE are capable of and really importance of providing you know, increased developmental opportunities and um, uh, procurement opportunity for them. And they really shined. And so many corporate members said, oh, my gosh, who who did this job? I was like, hey, it's MBE. You know, see, MBE can be the, you know, the world-class uh, event production company. So that's an, another example. 
And I think uh, you're right. It's it's become evident to to me. Well, it has for a while, but I think for other people out there and some other corporations out there that this is a, a competitive advantage. Like hiring and working with MBEs is not, as you said, something that you just check the box. It's something that if you don't do it, you will probably be relegated down the road because the new generations and the future is definitely diverse and it's definitely more equal and it's definitely more sustainable. So if you don't get onto this train early enough, then you'll probably just be left out. Absolutely. So Ying, to close it up here a little, we have talked about supply chain and logistics and entrepreneurs and your experience at Dell and with the U.S. uh, Department of Commerce. Can you share with us your thoughts on what does logistics with purpose mean to you? Yeah, so before we started, you all talking about, you know, what you're doing, um, helping other underserved communities. Um, so you're kind of the role model for this. But uh, from my perspective, it's about logistics that are more sustainable. I think this industry have, as you know, have some of the you know negative impact on the climate. You're moving things around. Um as we participate in this industry, we just need to be mindful of protecting the earth and utilize underserved communities like MBEs uh, uh, to do so. Uh, we have a plenty of, you know, NMSDC certified 3PLs, you know, logistic company like you with great, you know, solutions, even security solutions. And we need to connect the companies are doing this work in a sustainable way with the corporations who have a very large logistical needs and um, by extension impacts impacts on the environment. So I would love to create like long lasting partnership between RMB and the logistics side of the economy to help really expand uh, environmental sustainability for the industry. So to me, it's sustainability. It has been wonderful to talk with you today. In addition to, we need to post a bit of a glossary of all of the acronyms we use in our podcast so all of our listeners are aware of all the terms we're using. We also want to let them know how can they connect with you? How can they connect and learn more about NMSDC? Please, please share with us. You know, so we want to share that info with our listeners. Yes. Um, well, you can visit nmsdc.org uh, to learn about NMSDC and a sign up for email list so you can get regular updates about what we're working on. And you can also find us on LinkedIn, you know, search my name, you'll get to NMSDC, Ying Maguire. I don't think there's another Ying Maguire on this world. So it's going to be very <laughs> easy to find, find me the Chinese Irish name. And we have Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So I encourage also you all follow my personal account on LinkedIn. So I give updates every so often. And um, I want everyone listening to this podcast to really connect with me on LinkedIn. So I know that you are listening. And um, I also want to make sure that you all know we have 23 affiliate regional councils and five international partners who serve as our local boots on the ground and uh, regional council have signature events and programming throughout the year besides our uh, annual conference that I mentioned. And so you can go to our website to find your regional affiliate council and learn how you can get involved at the local level. And I know 
you are in Atlanta. So we have one in Atlanta, a Georgia Minority Supply Development Council. And we talked about our conference going to be in Baltimore in October. And uh, we have matchmaking events that you can take advantage of, the virtual one throughout the year. And I just want to finish by emphasizing that our mission to close the racial wealth gap is a bigger than any one of us. It's a bigger than any individual. That's It's a bigger than any one organization. It's a bigger than 23 regional council and NMSDC. So I encourage everyone listening to this podcast take a larger role in this work. If you're a corporate member, um, be more intentional. You know, um, make sure we take a bold step to include MBEs in every purchasing decision you have. And if you if you're a corporate leader, you're not a corporate member, become a corporate member by, by visiting our website. And if you're a policymaker, you know, uh, look at the policies like those listed on policy agenda on a website that's aimed at creating greater opportunities for minority-owned businesses. And if you're MBEs, uh, if you're not certified, get certified. Like, you know, you all said, let's get involved and, and engage in these developmental programs and, and, and help support other MBEs. Every one of us spend money. So every time you spend every dollar, think about who you're spending money with, right? And so um, if you are someone who's just passionate about the cause, donate to NMSDC so we can expand our work. So together, we can really create a future with a very strong and resilient U.S. and a global economy, uh, economy where everyone, regardless of your color and the background, has a fair shot of achieving the American dream. I really enjoyed this podcast. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Ying, it, the pleasure was all ours, and I'm sure our listeners as well. Thank you, thank you so much for spending some of your time with us today to talk about something that's so important, so critical, and we're very passionate about, which is just ending this racial wealth gap that you mentioned. I enjoy the conversation a lot. We're a proud minority certified company. And of course, we look forward to continue working with you other MBEs, and maybe other corporate members, members as well. So thank you so much. And for everyone else that's listening to this episode, thank you so much for joining. If you enjoy conversations like the one we had with Ying McGuire today, well, don't forget to uh, subscribe and we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you so much. <laughs>